Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Turn with me to Proverbs um, 18.24, very familiar verse that we've read um, quite a bit. This is a wise man, Solomon. So what I want to do, the lesson deals with this verse, so... Let's take and read this. Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God of heaven, we love you, holy God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means, Lord Jesus. And we ask you this day, Lord God, to touch us and strengthen us, Lord God. We need you, Father. Oh, God, I can't do this on my own, but I know with your anointing and your strength, Lord God, that all things, Lord Jesus, work together for our good. Touch us today. Anoint us. Anoint the Sunday school, Lord God. Ever better ministering, God, that I go forth today. We need your holy God, and we thank you for your goodness, your grace and mercy, God. Father, I pray right now that you're granted. Anoint us, Lord Jesus. Open our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This was Solomon in his writings. Um, what I want to do, I have never did this before, but I actually brought my iPad. So I'm making steps. But I'm only going to use it for a small portion. What I want to do is... Proverbs 18.24, um, I want to read this verse in different translations. And before I comment on it, I want you to hear what the different versions has to say in regarding this verse. The verse we just read, the King James Version says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, the next version I want to read is from the CSB, and that's the Christian, the Christian Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, and it says it this way. A man with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Now, the NIV is a new international version. It says it like this. One who has unliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, the next one 
is the NET, which is a New English translation. A person who has friends may be harmed by them, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The ASV, the American Standard Version, says it like this. He that maketh many friends doeth it to his own destruction. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And then the last one I'll read is the HNV, that's the Hebrew Names Version, says it like this. A man of many companions may be ruined, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now... This verse, 1824, the wise man is telling us, the consequence of having friends is the obligation to be a friend. And the test of true friendship is not comfortable, convenient, or profitable sometimes to be a friend. And when you look it up, what it means is a man that has friends must show himself friendly, must show himself friendly, in the Hebrew, that's one word. And it was sort of puzzling to me, but it is what it means is to make a loud noise and to break in pieces. And just what I got out of that is, now he's not talking about making an acquaintance to someone. As we would say, yeah, they're a friend, meaning I see them occasionally and I know them, they're a friend. He was talking about the story relates today of Jonathan and David, of truly having someone that you love, truly as a friend. And the the wise man is saying, if you truly don't guard the people that you let close to you, they have the potential to break you into pieces. That's what the wise man is saying. And he says, you have to guard yourself because the different versions... Point that out. If you go out and just gather the world, so to speak, to your bosom and don't guard yourself, you do it at your own detriment. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have friends or or nothing. That's not what I'm saying. The wise man is just saying you must guard yourself on who you let close to you. And I'm not saying acquaintances. I'm just, the Bible is saying you must watch, watch. And the, the, he is saying here, it's actually, he's talking about three different parts. He's, first, he's talking about friends, as we would say, acquaintance. Then he goes to blood. Then he goes to the Lord. Then we would know it's, it's, it's just that's who he's talking about. And so we see that. He was saying in the very end, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, speaking about bloodline. And so we know that. Now, here, King Saul, he's troubled and tormented in his thoughts, and as close as aid sought out the most talented musician to come and to play peaceful psalms. And sometimes the only relief the king could get is for when David came and played. And at this point, when they go out and find Jesse, and the Bible says, now, when he says, when his people tells the king, you know, we know of a man 
but the Bible says, where was he at? The Bible says at the very end of the verse that you read, it says, but David was with the sheep. Now that stands out to me because at this point in David's life, he's already anointed king. That's why we can take and learn from this that God anoints us to do things, but the time hadn't got right. David had already been anointed king, but he's still in the pasture guarding the sheep. He could have said, wait, <laughs> wait just a minute. I, God has anointed me king. Why do I have to watch the sheep? But this man, as humble as he was at this point, they find him guarding the sheep, and he goes out there and he takes and, and truly ministers, as, has preached on this to no end. Careful what you let in your ears because music is so important. Because if David, and he could go there and he can play, and Saul is truly tormented, and David can go there, and it, I'll say it like this this is me. You don't have to buy into this. It was not David's playing, it was the anointing of David's playing that what drove the enemy off. It was not just the playing. It was God's hand upon David when he played that, that drove the enemy off. So he came and then David from that point was showed favor even with Saul who would grow to hate him and try to kill him. So he became his armor bearer. He was a warrior as well as a musician. And perhaps it was during one of those times that Jonathan and David met. I don't really know. But... They both look and they both found themselves that they had skills when it comes to battle. And what we have to keep in mind, this is a different time and period. So literally, they literally had hand-to-hand combat. So they both had these skills. They was both young men. They had a reputation within themselves. And then one skirmish, David and uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, he had killed over 20 people, the Bible says. For the, for, for the cause was a breaking point of the battle. But David rose to, to prominence after Goliath when he goes and he's just taking food. He's just taking sandwiches, so to speak, to his brothers. And they get on him. What are you doing here? You just want to see the battle. That's the only reason. And then that's when he, um, is there not a cause? You know, the guy's up there running his mouth and, he, you know, David wants to know, what is the issue? How come everybody is listening to him twice a day for 40 days, 80 times? He has defied our God and nobody has met the challenge. Well, that's easy to say, I guess, so to speak, if you don't have to walk down in the valley of Elah. But David, this little old runny kid, chose to. Now, how did he know that God was going to go with him? I don't really have an answer to that other than just faith in God somehow. But when they got back, that's when the songs started. And I looked into that. When the women started singing these songs, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. Now what this actually happened to be, believe it or not, this was pre-David and the giants. But he... the. Just pull the rug right out from under me, will you? 
what I found about this, and I don't know the word for this in, in like a choir would sing um, one part in what it says, it, the women would answer. Um, Saul has slain his thousands and another group of women, but David has slain his ten thousands. And the Bible says on their contemporary charts it went number one because it had went throughout all of Israel. You read it, it's in the Bible. This went through all of Israel. And now had David slain 10,000? No. He had slain one person. But they said, you read in 2 Samuel, the women, he's wanting, David's wanting to go to battle, and they says, no, no, no. You're worth what? 10,000 to us. You ain't going. So Saul's thinking, you know, <laughs> am I mistaken? Is the crown not still on my head? This dude kills one person and y'all credited him to 10,000? But everybody, the whole army of Israel and the king and his son is sitting there. He kills one guy and you give him, credit him to 10,000. But that's exactly what they did. You've slain your thousands and they come back with another part, but he has slain 10,000s. So that did not help the issue at this point. The contention is growing. The hatred is growing. So we see that. So, but what is truly remarkable, speaking of friendship in this story, is Jonathan in this story. Because imagine what it was like to be developing a friendship of someone that your father literally hated and was going to kill. Now, this is not, you can't picture this in our day. Where, you know what, I, I, I despise that guy. When Saul said he was going to take David's life, he meant it. And Jonathan knew he meant it. This was not just an idle threat. Jonathan was trying to create a friendship. And David created a friendship with Jonathan. And here is his father saying, you know what, I will literally Kill him for it's over. And Jonathan is caught in the middle. He really is. But the Bible says from this time on, Jonathan loved him at his own soul, as his own soul. He developed this friendship with David. So, but what Jonathan did, God used Jonathan as the insider in Saul's own house. And I don't believe that Jonathan was a turncoat. I believe that the friendship that could be used just as we're using it today that would be used through the years as true friendship. And where Jonathan was in, because the sole purpose of the kings of that day, some of the kings would kill their own sons. <laughs> You're not getting this crown. So here is Jonathan now, what would it take? What would it be like for a son to just say, you know, my father's king, and guess what? Guess who's next in line to be king? But he knows. How does he know? Then God just impressing on him. Jonathan, I love you. But your friend will be the next king in Israel. And for him to just step out of the way 
and love David as his own soul and just say, I will step aside and honor God's wishes and let David be king. I'm telling you, that takes a lot. That takes a lot. All he had to say is go to Saul and said, David is trying to undermine you and I will give you David's head. And it was a done deal. But Jonathan stayed true. He stayed true. Now, they are a true example of loyal friendship. Loyal friendship. And I believe that's what the wise man was telling us in Proverbs 18.24. Careful. There's nothing wrong with having friends. But careful who you take into your bosom. Careful who you let into your bosom. As a true friend. As a true friend. Eventually, eventually Saul would call for the open execution of David. This hatred in him grew and then Jonathan interceded for David at times. He would say, reminding his father of the victory that David had. And probably that's the last thing that Saul wanted to hear. Here we got the women chanting and then Saul's telling him, but you know, but David, David killed the man that nobody else had killed. And that's probably not what Saul wanted to hear. But Jonathan, his own son, is telling him, telling him in this. It was not long before. And then after that, there was a little reprieve. Saul eased up. They had some time. It settled out. But it wasn't long before the spirits came back to Saul. And then it started again. And, but what really Saul seen in David was his dynasty ending and beginning with David. And Saul just couldn't let it go. You know, <laughs> you, you, you and I have probably been told, just let it go. <laughs> let it go. But Saul couldn't let it go. He just could not. No, I'm king. I'm king. The crown's still on my head. And I ain't letting it go. But they came back. They came back. Now, literally... Here is there together, and then Saul got so enraged that he picked up the spear, flung it at David. We know that's Bible. He's just so enraged. He's just like, you know, I'll just stop this right now. And David knew, you know, this is vastly coming to the point that I got to do something. So David leaves. David really does leave. And then he gets to the point that he meets with Jonathan and he just asked, literally, he said, what have, he's speaking to Jonathan, what have I done, what is my iniquity, and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Now, I just want to stop a minute and say, it's not you, it's your anointing. I'm telling when you get in situations, we're flesh and blood. We're prone to mistakes. But I'm telling you a lot of the time, you had not done nothing. It's your anointing that the enemy hates. And you're thinking, you're like, David, what have I done? I hadn't done nothing. You know, did I ask God to anoint me? No, God anointed me as king. I was just in the field watching the sheep. They come and got me. My own father told them, I ain't got no more sons. And Samuel says, you know what? 
You must have at least one more. And we ain't sitting down till he comes. So God anointed him. God put it in place. So the enemy, those that would rally against you, just as David here, Saul hated that anointing that was placed on David because I believe he was truly jealous because he could see the favor of God upon David. Because what would it be like? I'm telling you, I don't really know if you put it on a scale like 1 to 10, what would it have been like to be in the valley of Elah, sitting up here on the hill. Israel's on one side. The Philistines is on the other side. Your king, all your soldiers, and your son is there. Your king, your son, and they're all there. And here's this little old boy goes out there and slays this enemy that's been mouthing for 40 days. And you have all these warriors. The humiliation that that must have been. Well, who killed, who killed the giant? Which one of these? Well, I don't have the arms to do it, but which one of these men? Which one of these soldiers killed the Goliath? Um... By the way, who's that little old boy with you? <laughs> well, um, 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 he's the one that killed Goliath. Really? That must have been some part of y'all's that. I don't really know the humiliation that must have been to live with, with you being king. How could you explain that to someone? How could you tell Israel what you would not do, what your warriors would not do, that the hand of God was on so much this lad that he took an enemy that your whole encampment wouldn't take out? I don't know. I really don't know. But I know from that day forward, Saul started watching this dude and seeing how God's favor was upon him and not him. So, Jonathan and David devised this plan. And they said, we'll just make up a story. That it was fixing to be the, 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 a festival. And you, David, you leave. I'll make up a story while you're gone. And if, when Father asked where you're at, I'll just make up an excuse. They did, Saul asked. But what Jonathan didn't expect was the reaction from Saul that he got. So... The second day, Saul asked, where's David? And, you know, he just went back, check on his family. You know, everything's cool. Well, Saul didn't take it too good. It was then that he just went into this fit. And before it was over, he picks up a spear and he cast it at his own son. So Jonathan gets word to David and said, it ain't safe no more in this home. This is it. It's over. There is no more. It is over. And so that was it. They really didn't know. I believe they met one more time. And I believe, you know, I don't know if they ever really realized that that would be the last time that they was to see each other. 
but the bond that they had developed would last a lifetime. Whether they would embrace or speak to each other again, they had developed a true friendship, and that would last. But their friendship would remain strong. Now, he spoke of brothers. Brothers grow up. They share a, a unique relationship. Natural-born brothers share a bond called the bloodline. This attachment is usually stronger than any other relationship. Brothers compete. There's nothing wrong with that. Rivalries, you know, goes back all the way to Genesis. We read literally in the beginning. And, you know, uh, we, I, I started to say laugh, but it's really no joke and matter about law enforcement. I mean, this, it sounds almost comical, but one spouse literally could have been shot by the other one. And if you go out there to arrest the one that shot, if the one that got shot can still move, he will probably or she will probably try to attack the officer that's arresting the one that shot him. And when it comes to family or bloodline, there's a bond there that you have to be very careful with. And most families are like that. And it's just, I've used the example, and I'm, I am, this is not made up. This is not for illustration, but I went to school with these brothers. There's five brothers. And I've always said, if you couldn't whip them all, don't start nothing with one of them. Because them juckers was a pack of wolves, and they stuck together, and it was known. Do not start nothing with any of them. Because it's like if you touched one, you touched them all. So that was just the way life was with them. Though, in most of the time, most of the time, it's, this is not ruled in iron, but most of the time, families are that way. And we know that. We recognize that. You know, families can fuss and fight, but at the end of the day, everybody comes together, you know, and most of the time it's forgotten, overlooked, or whatever. That's the way family should be. If you have a disagreement, get over it. We're family. Or we're blood. Blood is thicker than water, so to speak. Where that come from? I don't know. Um, the statement is ancient. His origin is uncertain, really, as far as I know. But it's one that we readily understand when we hear it. You know, they got a small family. Ooh, I'll mess with them. They got a big family. I believe I'll leave them alone. <laughs> Meaning, they got a lot to do something with. Now, long-standing feuds, we recognize literally the Hatfields and McCoys, the late 1800s in the hills of Kentucky and West Virginia. Really, yesterday afternoon, I looked that up, and, and the best I could find out what started that was the stealing of a hog. So, it's just... You're dealing with blood. It's just, you stole my hog. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your life with it. Really? No. Once blood was spilled, the game changed. A hog had nothing to do with it from then on. Once blood was spilled. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, somebody, 
I'll bring it to our day. You know, we've heard these deals about somebody trying to get a parking spot in, in, uh, in a parking lot area, and it escalates, and somebody's shot. Well, Lord, it was a parking lot. Well, it may have began like that. But once somebody is shot, all bets is off. Really. Now, but just the mention of the Hatfields and McCoys, we understand about feuds. Now, the mixing of blood, basically, we've seen it. We've seen it uh, before. And I guess I even hate to mention it in movies and stuff. Basically, I won't say basically, but it's more or less with the cutting of hands, shaking hands, symbolic oath of changing of blood, um, the solemn rite known as blood brothers. Um, you've read or I have read about on different groups they have the term blood in, blood out. You violate that, you learn what blood out means. But a lot of that, that is true. That is true. Um, they take that oath very seriously. You violate it, you no longer live. Because they take the changing of blood, the agreeing of blood, very, very seriously. So that's what Solomon is saying. You have an acquaintance. He that hath a friend, it means companion there. That's not very serious of a friend. You just know somebody. Then he goes to a different friend, blood. That's, that's somebody don't mess with. Can't whip them all, don't start it. But then he goes, and then he says from that, there's one that sticks closer than a brother. Now, what he was saying is you could, you could be ruined even by a brother. But there is one that will stick to you even closer than a brother. So that's what he was getting at. Now, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. All brothers, we assume, share this close relationship but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother this special bond of friendship sacrifices self-interest promotes the success of others Jesus is that friend who sticks closer than a brother though his completely selfless acts to provide salvation and hope of everlasting life Jesus demonstrated his desire to provide our needs above his own he did this for his followers they looked to Jesus as a leader, and they looked to him as a mentor, a teacher. He said this, I call you not as servants, for the servants knoweth what, not what is the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And to me that means Jesus told his followers, for what I have felt in the Spirit, I have held nothing back. I have literally gave you everything. What I have felt, what I know, what I know in the spirit, you have got. For God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we was yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, when you think about that, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we was yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Meaning is that God literally paid the price for us before we even accepted him. So when someone says, you know, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I'll do. God has already determined from his end that he would save that individual while we was yet sinners. I mean, God literally leaves it up to the individual because God's part is done. While we was yet sinners, he died for us. Literally, it's left up. In other words, I'll leave it like this. I'm the one that has to choose to say no because God has already applied for my salvation. He has already made a way. It's a done deal. It's already done. All I have to do is accept it. Literally, that's all I have to do. The ultimate test of friendship was when Jesus said this, greater, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And the friends here is talking about the one that sits closer than a brother. This is what he did. But through the years of Saul's reign, the Philistines continued to plague Israel. In the final chapter of 1 Saul, again, the people of Israel was in battle. There was no escape. Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, died in battle that day. A messenger came to the camp and told David the news of Israel's defeat, the death of King Saul and his sons. And David wept when he learned of the men that had died that day. He wept when he heard that Jonathan had died that day, his friend he had lost. The entire camp of Israel joined in the lamentation, mourning these deaths and the defeat in the hands of the Philistines, which was a thorn in Israel's side. The Bible says it like this, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty are fallen and the weapons of war perished. Now, David literally expressed the how close of a brotherhood that him and Jonathan had experienced. They had enjoyed times, I say enjoyed, they was in battles together. They knew each other. They both had married. They both had children. And we know that they valued their friendship and they mourned the death. And this, no doubt that it was David that just continued to love and to search out for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. That's why I believe that he said, go get him, bring him to me, let him sit at my table. For in seeing Mephibosheth, he saw Jonathan. In showing kindness to him, he was showing kindness still to his friend. He was still being a friend, even though his friend had passed on. The friendship hadn't passed. It was still there. He was sitting at his table. Such a close bond of friendship is truly rare. And I don't think, 
I don't think that the wise man was saying that we should not have friends at all. All he was saying was you must guard yourself when it comes to making true friends. Have all the companions, so to speak, the friends, so to speak, all you want. But to the ones that you let close enough to get into your bosom, those you must guard because they have the potential to break you. Because, you know, I can't, and I'll use me, I can't tell someone that you're my friend, you're my friend, and then when they get in trouble, and then I say, you know what, I have just let my word speak. It is then that my actions must match my mouth. Because then I make a liar of myself. I have repeatedly told them, you are my friend. You are my true friend. And now I say, well, I've got something else to do. You know, I, That's what the wise man is saying. Be careful. He was saying not, not to have friends. I don't believe that at all. But, and Jesus was saying, in the closest of friendships that you find, there is still a potential that that could go wrong. That's why Isaiah told us, that through a woman and her child, could the woman forget the child? said, it may happen. But God said, I will never forget you. And that's what the wise man was saying. If it does go wrong, if you do feel that you have been on the wrong end of a friendship, that's why God is saying that I'm the one that will never leave you nor forsake you because there is a friend that truly sticks closer than a brother. And that's why he gave us the way he did the three things. Because you have the companion, you have the bloodline, and then you have Jesus. That's why he broke it down like this. And just, we must think, you know, he wasn't saying that, that, you know, it's wrong or we shouldn't do this. He was just saying, when it comes to true, true friends... They are valuable. They are worth their weight in gold because it is just like, um, you know, when it comes to your spouse or someone that truly knows you, um, for just someone to love you for who you are. You know, everybody has quirks, faults, or failures, or how you want to look at it. And I'm not saying committing sin. Everybody is unique in their own way. And sometimes it's easy to put up with people in their uniqueness. And sometimes you just tolerate it. Was that too strong? <laughs> but to have a friend, I have a true friend that loves you regardless. That is truly valuable. Because, you know, Kenneth's okay, but when he gets in this mood... Leave him alone. But to have a friend that says, you know what, even when he's this mood, I still love him. Money can't buy that. Money can't buy that. And then when I can take and turn that around and love someone, truly, truly, I'm just, it's just like Jonathan and David when they're taken. And here is Jonathan that truly, truly should have been king in our way of thinking. 
But God had another plan. And he said, no. He later said in Samuel, I have provided me a king. And he chose David to be that king. But truly Jonathan proved that how God had anointed David, Jonathan too was anointed to follow the will and the direction of God. And he did that. So I believe that that's what the wise man was saying in 1824. There's nothing wrong with friends. Nothing wrong. But they have the potential to break you. And don't let your friends, those that are the closest to you, break you. Because on the other side of that, they are the most valuable. When things is going the worst, as the, we've heard before, when you need somebody with flesh, they can be the most valuable to you. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. God bless you. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for your word most of all. God, I thank you for the value that we find in it, Lord Jesus. I love you and I thank you, God. Thank you for Lord God, for what you're doing, God. Touch us, Lord God. Strengthen us, heal us, each and every one. God, I praise you this day. Have your way. God, I thank you for what you've done. Touch us, Lord God, I pray. Have your way. Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Okay, shake one another's hands in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.